With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the pilot uh, airing in November, and we said we've got to celebrate this. The anniversaries are worth celebrating, and and we want to celebrate this. And today we have, as a special guest on our podcast, Rodney Charters. Rodney, I I like your name. My my dad was named Rodney as well, and I always always liked the name. Uh Welcome to the podcast today. Thank you for for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let me start with this. Justin and I are both Canadian. Yes. And from what we what we understand, Canada had a role in your career. I I spent uh, early life. I went to film school in England. I was born in New Zealand. I mm-hmm. traveled across Russia on the Trans Siberian in '68. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, uh, went to the Royal College of Art in London. Ended up in Toronto, uh, and found that I could work before you had to. They closed the border six weeks after I arrived. Wow. And I was able to get the job. Uh, after that, you had to go back to your original country and, and file a desire to work. You know, So I lucked out incredibly 20 years or so in Toronto, surrounding working for CTV mostly, CBC. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Documentaries, W5, Live It Up, a resounding yep. success. Um, I remember that, yeah. And I did the odd documentary on and off and eventually got dragged into Toronto's burgeoning runaway film industry right and uh, i mark Irwin, who was um the fly you know he was cronenberg's man a cinematographer and he dragged me in to shoot a thing called young blood which of course is an epic hockey movie uh, yes. one of the greats yeah and yeah i i shot alongside him doing second unit um freaking out at a 96 frames per second trying to follow the puck on the ice with a 300 mil this is a nightmare yeah um so that was trial by fire and then uh, mark left to go to america because uh, david didn't have a script and and he was getting frustrated he wanted to work so he left and he'd been doing a late night cbs drama um, and I took it over. He just handed it to me. So it was trial by fire. I mean, I had been shooting 16 my whole life and mostly without a crew, you know, one man band, loading your own mags all over the world shooting right. for the CTV network. And then suddenly here I am on a drama set with no idea how to behave. Uh, <laughs> but subsequently once i'd moved you know got attracted it came down here did nash bridges it was my first big american show but i shot psycho four for mick garris in uh, orlando and and so i was becoming uh, an la kind of resident and eventually i moved 
So there I was uh, doing a job that he'd gone under at Fox, and then Fox said, hey, we've got this other show, go and meet Stephen Hopkins. <laughs> it's this thing called 24. And of course, I got to read it and thought, oh my God, this is, this is good stuff. And Peter Levy had been the DP on the pilot, and he didn't want to do the series. He wanted to go off and do movies and so on. And so Stephen and I kind of had a discussion, and uh, Fox were pushing at that time for us to go digital. And Stephen just bluntly said, over my dead body. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So wow. I said, okay, I have no problem with film. Uh, you know, we want to do this. He said, okay, I want the first scene I remember doing where it really sunk in that we were on a new trajectory. I mean, the, the pilot was a viewable thing and it was amazing. And Peter had done a great job and they've continued to work together over the years on and off. Uh, he said, I've got this five minute scene. I want to cover it in one, uh, eight cameras handheld. Um, we never had any wheels. We were always on a, if we were on sticks, we had a floaty head and we used zooms a lot. And the boys were encouraged guy Skinner on a and, and Jay Heron on B camera on usually on a, a really long lens called the Widowmaker because it was such a dangerous lens. It was two <laughs> eight was uh, 160 to 400 mil at 2.8, and we would often use a 1.4 extender to get out to 600 mil, and we would use that inside. So at 30 feet, you could have a full mouth on the frame, and you right. focus pulling nightmare. So we were <laughs> one of the first to use our systems for focus assist and that kind of thing. And Guy would be moving with Kiefer all the time. Kiefer would drive the energy of the ship and the focus of it, and I realized that it was very verite shooting that we were doing. It had drama components. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating that the movie that won this year for cinematography was No Man Land. Essentially a verite coverage yeah. of people who within the very scene didn't even realize that Francis McDormand was an actor. Fascinating. I, I just read that this morning and I thought, oh, how wonderful because so much of what we see now and consume as viewers is generated by people's cell phone footage posted on TikTok right. or, or on Instagram and people are making the most amazing little stories on their own with their own equipment. It's not a barrier anymore. And I remember at film school, you didn't touch a camera unless you were in a film school because God knows you could never afford it. And nobody in the profession was going to let you near their gear unless yeah. you were sweeping floors and you took 10 years to come up through the ranks. Right. And now with, with digital learning on a worldwide basis, no language necessary, you can learn to make and shoot your own material with an extraordinary degree of sophistication and internal knowledge and you're safe to tell your own story and it's a whole changed world but in Kiefer and the energy that he came to the scene yeah. in covering him we explored a whole new dynamic of how to shoot drama at that level hmm. and the, the 180 whip pans yeah very very close work with the a camera right up alongside Kiefer with a widish lens handheld and sitting on a butt dolly and moving with him, uh, it of course brings back memories. Uh, you know, it was an extraordinary ride. Um, when you're in the Los Angeles area as a cinematographer, you're not often 
longevity is not something you think about. Right. You're on the show, the show closes, and it's a very sad occasion, and everyone disbands, and you may never see these people again, and there's 200 people on the team. Right, yeah. But when Kiefer signed a three-year deal for $15 million with Fox, we all went miles. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and it was a it was a way to put your kids through college, and yeah. it was it was a good time. And I remained very good friends with everybody on the team. Uh, we invented a lot of very interesting stuff, which is still used in the industry. Mm-hmm. One of the first things that we did was we realized that we had to shoot a lot of driving, right? Or yeah. Flying in helicopters, and yeah. it was all in real time, and it took place mostly in the valley in L.A. And it was all sodium light and there were helicopters flying and it was all pretty wild. And even the first episodes, I remember driving with Kiefer in a car doing dialogue on a freeway at night Hmm. while a helicopter photographed us from above. Wow. And they wanted to integrate all of this. And we had to, I had to push the film to a thousand ISO and and use our widest lenses were really only two eights at that time. We didn't have high speed primes. And uh, they were all zooms, and we wanted to just keep on shooting. So that kind of thing just became necessary. I realized that we had some fairly bright projectors, and we could get rear screens. Okay. So eventually we started with one. It was about a 10 by 16 screen, quite an expensive screen, so that you didn't see the hot center in the projector. Or we would put nine DV cam cameras around a, a good luxury sedan, so they had good suspension. Right. And we would drive the route that we wanted to be see outside the window. And then we would come on a day and we would suspend the ceiling so we didn't see the stage. We put a black up and we put the car in there on go jack so that we could spin it around and shoot the different angles. And then we just moved to the screen, changed the plates for a side angle, a front angle, a rear angle. And we started doing that. And of course, this developed into two screens. And we got pretty sophisticated in it. And eventually we used uh, Canon cameras, 5D Mark Mark IIs or ones, I think they were in the beginning. Yeah. We used those together, the plates digitally. And Sam Nicholson at Stargate helped us integrate all of this material if we needed green. But we did all this live and then it was done. So we would sometimes do, I think our maximum was 15 pages of dialogue in different cars and in a helicopter and in a boat. Yeah, we did it day and night, and so that was that was pretty innovative. And everybody came to us eventually and said, "How were you doing that? How did that happen?" Because it's so much more efficient to do. And of course, now we're getting into video walls, where the video wall is playing back the plate, and right. you have interactive lighting, so that if you go through a dark period, the lights all dim, and the background, of course, is showing you that dim, and it's become so realistic and. Very convincing, a la Mandalorian. Sure, yeah, yeah. It's a vast panel to do car work. You just need one on one side and one on the other so you get reflectivity in the windows uh, that you're shooting through. And uh, so that was one of the things. But there were a bunch of other things. We had a thing called bat wings that we used on (laughs) Kino Flows that trapped the amount of light. You'd snap them in on the tubes. Bat wings, the butt dolly, which is still out there. (laughs) It's a great name. Uh, you can buy them for 800 bucks at Film Tools, and everybody has those. All the assistants right. glide around on them because they're a beautiful handheld kind of device for floating. Right. Um, the cloud, the grip cloud, a big floating helium balloon that was only two feet thick, 
that you would take up to the top of a space and you would, the helium would take it up and you would cut the cloud and the sun would uh, diffuse through this thing and you had this beautiful, and they're used all over the world, although the price of helium has gone through the roof. <laughs> My people went on to become DPs on their own. Um, the latest one is Anthony Vietro, who's now shooting for John Wells and doing Animal House. And so oh, okay, yeah. And so the, the Lisa Weigand, who does all of the Chicago Fire stuff now for the right. last 10 years, yeah. she was an early, I did a competition with six people in the LA area. We want someone to shoot extra uh, footage, uh, show me your reels. And I chose Lisa and Liza Weigand, and uh, she's gone on to become a DP on her own. So there's, there's a lot of stuff that came out of 24 that I think was fantastic. And if Kiefer was himself very innovative in the, the way he rewrote all the shows, yeah, yeah. the white scripts in a cupboard and said, I, I keep them as a guarantee that you'll never come back to me and see that that's how you wrote it because we're rewriting all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that every day yeah. at the beginning of a scene, he would, he would change it, you know, and we had to be very, very nimble on our feet because he would, we'd had a plan in our head, but he'd come in and say, no, I would never put my back against that wall. You got to reconfigure everything to, to be on the fly. Yeah. 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 Uh. You know, yeah. you know, one of the, one of the things we talk about, we have this, we have these super fan groups, and we talk about, you know, some people that have become fans recently, other people that like me that watched it from the beginning. I yeah, was, yeah. I was watching it. We, one of the things that comes up several times is that we never felt like we were watching a TV show. We felt like yeah. we were watching an extended movie. Yeah. So yeah. when I look back now, and I watched the original episodes on a twenty-seven inch tube TV, I'm yeah. now yeah. watching them on Disney Plus on my fifty-five inch. And it's it's beautiful it, yeah. to, to think that it translated well, from that to now is film is, film was you know was retransferred in HD so you mm -hmm. do get an HD image it could be retransferred in 4K but nobody's they're too cheap to do it right know? right the technology's changed so much have you gone back and watched some of the original episodes and yes I I take little bits every now and again for real they hold and, up beautifully thank you <laughs> they do it does yeah. Hold up but it's a tribute to film yeah and, yeah and one of the things of course of the very early days we were still shooting four by three mm -hmm. yeah by yeah. nine version they had to go back and rescan the first episodes right yeah um but film holds up and it's it's a beautiful uh, we we were threatened with digital we shot comparison tests mm -hmm. and Kiefer looked at himself side by side and he said not my face on that system and it was the digital <laughs> so that was the end of that sure yeah 24, 20 years later has aged very well in terms of the absolutely in terms of the cinematography and and it, it's still uh, everyone we talk to it still works it's still yeah. popular well, it's still it's still loved it didn't look like anything else on TV. Stephen Hopkins was the guy who set the tone. He did twelve episodes the first year, and by episodes I mean he basically shot the whole season because. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
we blocked and shot two episodes at a time. So we were shooting 90 minutes. Right. That's yeah. why it, it had a feel of it being a feature. Mm -hmm. The fact that Kiefer stayed in locations for a long time. It had that lovely quality of you just ran with the energy and the energy drove you. And they were all story points. And then there were parallel stories. So the multi-screen thing helped tremendously. Right. And the ticking clock. Yep. And, you know, John Cassatt picked up on that and ran with that. And he did yeah. the most of the episodes in the end. And he's a good filmmaker. Uh, it, it, one of my highlights, of course, was directing Kiefer as well. The most yeah. extraordinary experience. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Guy stepped up and McGat stepped up and helped. You know, they were the cinematographers on note, and and it was an. There's nothing like being a director. I was going to say, what was the difference for you from of, of directing an episode? Uh, I I realized that I had to give up. Uh, I actually went to acting classes and took guidance from people who were teaching actors. And okay, I had not been an actor myself, and so how you make that crossover and how you communicate tone and annoyance and subtlety and so on, you see it. In people like Nomadland, you see her yeah. work, stuff that she's doing behind the scenes, yeah. the delicacy and the gentleness. We had none of that on our set. Our sets were total chaos. Sure, yes. <laughs> tiny moments, then you could grab Kiefer's attention. Yeah. And he's a very intelligent, focused individual who totally got it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, you're just kind of nudging him around about, you know? Yeah. Um, there is some priceless stuff that you can't talk about. I mean, <laughs> right. The hidden most, stories. The most amazing experience. And it got me into the ASC. One day I'm standing on set and Owen Roisman, a famous American cinematographer, is on set saying, hey, we just came to watch you work. And next thing I know, Peter and him and, and another Canadian, Mark Owen, were writing letters for me. And, and they got me into the ASC, which I'm forever grateful. That was a yeah. stepping stone to many different things. And, wow. You know, uh, well, as a cinematographer, what was the challenge of shooting a real-time show? They were exceptional challenges, but I had been schooled as a documentarian mm -hmm. to realize that when you go into an environment where you don't have total control, and yet things are going on that you have to capture, you, you may have an opportunity to augment the lighting, to assist it if it's too dark, or to switch things off or to ask, can we shoot later in the day in this room because the sun will come in and do nice things for me. So all of that was thinking that was going on as you're blocking these sets. And I had a fantastic gaffer called Davidson Orange and my key grip, Anthony Vietro. And together we would orchestrate this in advance. Although interestingly, I never went on scouts unless it was a huge problem. They would videotape and we'd have discussions. But I shot all of the episodes, whereas today, Generally, you share a show with two DPs. Right. One is prepping while you're shooting. And that does allow for a little bit more control. But in the end, you don't own the images, all of them, because every other show is somebody else. Right, and it's, right. It takes away a little bit of that. I'm proud of the fact that I did 186 or 94. Yeah, it's quite the number. Yeah. That, that is quite amazing. the number. Yeah, absolutely. And again, from an audience standpoint... The idea that this was not necessarily TV like we've seen it before, we were, you know, we were we were in the action, and yeah. and you were a big part of putting us into the action because yeah. the urgency and the pulse, as you know, as I've heard before, was was all there. They you had, 
brilliant, absolutely brilliant operators. Yeah. And they were my eyes. Yeah. And I was the overviewer, making sure that everything was in the right place for them and so on. But I have to give huge credit to Guy Skinner. Mm -hmm. He developed a, a relationship with, Pete, uh, with Kiefer where they were in synchronicity. That kind of behavior between the two of them. In long takes, we would use 16-minute magazines, 1,000-foot mag on the, the XL Panaflex, and we would shoot those 16 minutes and maybe two takes on a scene. Why go once and then go right again? Yeah. So that kind of fluidity of motion where you could carry a shot a lot longer than we actually cut it. And the frantic energy was this vicious cutting, bang, 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 bang. Sometimes I think we got up to 1,500 cuts in a 45 minutes. Wow. Crazy pace. Yeah, yeah. That pace and the multi-screen drove you with an energy that was palpable and we had a lot of older people say you know thank god for the commercials because <laughs> i'm gonna have a heart attack <laughs> well yeah <laughs> i mean that was that was the i i was from the day certainly from the first and second the second season of the six week gap of where you know yeah. we'll be back in six weeks and something cataclysmic would happen and then we'd have to wait six weeks to find out what was going to happen next. That was torture. That was, oh, that was, that was, that was work. Thankfully, thankfully for me, I didn't have that. Uh, that guy, I, I got right? to binge it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Well, that, of course, we started the binge watch. Absolutely. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I remember going to Japan. I was wanted to go. It was time off between seasons, and they they asked me if I'd do some promo, and I ended up doing something like nine interviews in a day in Tokyo, and I was just a cinematographer. I don't even think I directed at that point. It was right. early days, but going into a video store, and there was a hundred yards of of cassettes on the display, only of twenty four, <laughs> as it should be. <laughs> they would only let them out one of the week, once a week online you couldn't Whoa. binge watch fox got smart and they said what if we put out a whole box set of this thing? <laughs> <laughs> like gold that we is how i got it the white house one time we were shooting in in uh, in washington and uh, uh rice we met her on the stairs and we were introduced john cassara and i got the big tour right and uh she said oh yes we we have box sets on air force one <laughs> Crazy. You've arrived. <laughs> it was insane. How, yeah, yeah. How it took hold post 9-11, of course. Right, and right. We watched the towers come down on the floor with Kiefer on yeah. the set shooting yeah. and realized this was a brave new world and we'd have to change things. And we did have to modify the edit 
the show right. had already been it was the pilot and it, it had to change the girl jumped out of the plane and we had to make some modifications yes but from that day on you knew that people really were glued because they wanted to understand what terrorism was mm-hmm. yeah we had a map in the writer's room which we'd gotten from the cia secretly which listed all the cells in America with their names and who they knew and where they were and what part of the country. Wow. We, we were just dealing with dynamite the whole time. Yeah, yeah. And, and consequently, when Kiefer, I remember distinctly, Kiefer squatting an AK-47 is put to his forehead. And Stephen Hopkins said, put the gun to his forehead. And we said, sir, you can't. You're not allowed to point a weapon at, you have to go for the throat or down in the shoulder. So put the weapon against his temple. And we shot it in profile. I said, Do we, we, this is, of course, we shut up about it. Next right, day, right. there were lawyers from Fox on set out in the valley, driven all the way out there, which they never do. <laughs> right. And they said, you can't do that. And both the producer, Joel Surnow, and Hopkins said, we leave. We are leaving the show unless you leave this alone. Wow. And they were terrified initially because they were worried about the big advertisers. And then all of a sudden, the big the big car companies started coming in and they had right. no problem selling <laughs> advertising after that. Yes. You know, that was a... It was a very strange dynamic because it was very Democrat, the way, Demo- the way we made it. A lot of Democrats. Right, right. But there were were the administrators and the running people in the yeah. show and strange dynamic. Yeah. I mean, you were heavily involved with 24. Uh, you had a very important role. Do you think 24 is a show that could be, that could easily be revived in this day and age? What are your thoughts? Well, we've had a lot of emulators of this kind of show. Yeah. Um, some of the best come out of Europe, to be honest, out of England. From a subject point of view, these are very dangerous times, more dangerous than when we were doing our thing. It was just sure. terrorists and us. Now half the terrorists that we're worried about are internal in the country. Right. Yeah. So much polarization. Yeah. I don't know how you would survive putting it out there. Um, the, the style, the filmmaking style has been adopted in space by everyone who wants to tell that kind of story. Um, I, I think filmmaking has a huge role to play in bringing about understanding and yeah we are in dangerous times the racism in america is so to the rest of the world it's unbelievable that people are behaving the way they're behaving yeah yeah these are good decent people who feel in their hearts that they're doing the right thing and yet they continue to deny voting rights to african-americans yes yeah I, i come from another culture i was brought up in a socialist society in new zealand was the number two country on the planet after the war in the 50s very wealthy everybody Mm -hmm. had big desotos and big american cars and everybody had two cars you know crazy i got my teeth done i got all my hospital i got all my education you know right yeah and it's very strange for me to stare at this and say no the jeff Bezos's of the world are the ones that should be running things in this trickle-down economics does not function I'm sorry the rest of the world laughs at us really yeah I mean I mean we're we're in an interesting position as Canadians too to kind of be I mean I I border Detroit so I'm I'm right in Windsor 
And okay. uh, yeah, I, I have the the exactly what you said. The the polarization is right at my back door, and yeah. uh, and, and I think if anything, um, the dialogue. Well, one of the things that really has come up too in the last several weeks is the the concept of art being able to show us something that we haven't seen yet. Certainly, David mm. Palmer as president is something yeah. that we hadn't yeah. seen before. And and yeah. and now we've we saw it in real life from 2008 to 2016. We saw a black president. So, convinced that that was because of our show. Yes, I agree. I agree. I go back to there's something else in your resume that I I loved when I was a kid because it was the first time I had ever seen it on screen was Mantis. Oh yeah, yeah. Mantis was the first time I had ever seen a black superhero on screen, and I watched all those episodes religiously. I I was just fascinated yeah. by that. That was and, a fun project. Um, fun project. I mean, there've been a bunch of projects that I thought would have, in another era, might have stayed on the air. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Of audiences, and now we have the whole world's television that we can watch. Exactly. It's pretty astounding, and, and you know, subtitling's automatic, and it's just an astounding. Situation. Things are things are opening up. Things are opening yeah. up. Things are changing. You know, to contrast all the other polarization, there are some things that are changing. But I think without, say, Mantis at least taking the shot, then I yes. think progress and Twenty Four obviously showing David Palmer uh, it, progress. You know, helping us to visualize something we hadn't seen yet, and that's to me what's exciting about why we still champion Twenty Four. I mean, some of the yeah. things that we, you know, some of the ideals. That's for show from Fox's point of view. I mean, yeah. that's to be understood. We were pushing $5 million an episode mm-hmm. in that time. We were one of the highest paid shows that was, you know, and they would throw half a million without even thinking about it us in addition to blow something up. Well, that's, <laughs> that's my next question. <laughs> you blew up a lot of stuff. What was, your, what was your favorite thing to blow up on the show? Well, the, the favorite thing was we wanted to use the Navy and they oh, yes. wanted us to use anything we wanted, but we never went to sea, except we did go into a nuclear submarine for three days right. down in yeah. uh, down down south. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was unbelievably fascinating. With two admirals standing pressed <laughs> up against, shaking hands like this, because they you, there were people all around you. You know, it was crazy. Wow. But the thing that really was a buzz was the F-16s. Uh, we wanted them to strafe the L.A. River and, and send a rocket into a helicopter. Was that Stephen Saunders? Uh, I, I, I can't remember. Yeah, that. it was the, the guy was try, trying to get away and they called in. Yes, the, yes, 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 yes. Oh, love that scene. Yeah. And so we had these. First off, we had to get permission to clear L.A., you know, People can't remember now. There used to be 50 planes on approach to LAX at any time, day or <laughs> right, night. Right. They're on that runway going, the run into the airport took you right across the LA River. And we yep. wanted to fly looped F-16s underneath them. So we had to get <laughs> FAA permission from Washington. To sure. Do it happened in 20 minutes we got permission. Oh. Basically, hell all, yes. All the, all the loopholes and everything, the paperwork. All got cleared. I'm sure the fuel alone was 50 grand. I think we had to pay for it for these two jets to make 12 loops. That shot? Radius and coming up the river. That shot was worth it. 10 cameras. And and brilliantly, my operator guy was on Kiefer on the radio ordering the attack. (laughs) The foreground lying on his side in the L.A. riverbed. And behind him, you see the jets coming up the river. 
off them as and then we put in a simulated rocket and we whipped to the helicopter and it blew the thing up with more plastic explosives than I've ever seen used in my life. <laughs> Pull this helicopter apart. But it was a one off. Yeah. We yeah. That twice. That was the guts of, of our kind of visual concept that we would say, yeah, this is going to blow the shit out of this thing, but we're on Kiefer and we might just whip just in time to get the tail end of that thing. But we are not going to be there waiting. It wow. was all done with this gut feel of the energy of the operator pushing and shoving you and dragging you in the direction of where the story was happening. You know? Well, I mean, I watched it when it aired live, so I did not have the luxury. There was no TiVo back then. There was no re rewinding. You yeah. just literally, I remember sitting it in front of the TV, just jaw dropped, going, <laughs> oh my gosh, how am I going to see that again? That was, that was, that was. And that was a movie scene. That was incredible. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So much. You know, with streaming now, a lot of that kind of tension is gone because you can just click and rewind. And right. Yes. Yeah. What did they say? You know? Um, oh, yeah. It's it's really an astounding period of time for television. And I'm glad it, it happened and it's around and, you know, very, very well regarded worldwide. Disney Plus picking it up around the yeah. world. I yeah. mean, Canada qualified for that, so we 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 have it streaming now on Disney Plus. Oh, it looks wow. so good. But what films did you grow up watching? You know, we had four cinemas in our little town of fifteen thousand people, so that was a testament. It was film was big in our town, but there was no television. Okay. And um, you know, I was not so much conscious of it as my father was a cinematographer. He was a still photographer, but he ended up Super Eight you know, eight millimeter super eight. And then he'd been a photo reconnaissance guy in the second world war to quite a canal. Wow. Against the Japanese. And he took anamorphic 16 mil. And of course I ended up borrowing his camera to make my first film. And I was in films with him. So for me, it was a very different kind of thing. I understood cutting without really understanding it, you know? Right. Right. Uh, and so it wasn't until I went to university and started really watching films you know blade runner late in life i was already a shooter but blade runner is still one of the most memorable experiences in a cinema um yes i remember seeing that in the theater and and was, that was one of the that was one of the first times at the end of the movie nobody got up everybody yeah. just kind of sat there and just kind of yeah. just, just drank it in yeah yeah it, uh, it's hard to recreate that sure you know? yeah yeah. It's been a long time since I've been so moved by the emotional content of a story. You know, I think I, I'm, I'm dreading watching Hopkins uh, do his role in The Father. I know I have to see it. Right. So close to my heart and as I get older and the whole notion of uh, Alzheimer's and, and Parkinson's and all of this kind of stuff. Right. I'm kind of putting it off. Yeah, we but, just watched it. It was, yeah. it was, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, it, yeah. It's hard to watch. No, but and, it's you know, movies like done. 12 Years a Slave, there've been a whole pile of extraordinary filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Even his, his small acts uh, coming out of London, that whole thing about the restaurant and so on and the English cops. And uh, I lived, you know, 10 years in England going to the Royal College. And mm -hmm. so I have it, that was my period. That was when I was in London, this late sixties, early seventies. But I've I've been lucky to travel extensively. I've been Africa, Far East, 
spent a long time in Russia doing a series called uh, Gerald Darrell in Russia, Darrell okay. in Russia, about animal uh, reserves and so on. It's, take, it's, it's taking you all over the place. Everywhere. And I don't think they send people quite to the same extent. Maybe the vice team, who I have to say are an amazing group of cinematographers. Right, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant and extraordinary work. Now that we've got the cameras down to being very small and unobtrusive, there's some amazing work being done on documentaries. And documentaries have their day now because of streaming. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I watched one this morning. I mean, yeah. I, I try to watch a documentary at least every two days, whereas yeah. they used to be very hard to find. But with yeah. streaming, with exactly. streaming, they're everywhere. And they, they, they can have a life to them. Listen, when I went to film school, we never saw a film at the Royal College. Three years I was there, I never saw a movie because they didn't have the facilities for it. Right, right. I went after that to a school in, in uh, Philadelphia and there was a college of art there and they had a screening room and they had a movie from that had been sent to them in 12 cans from L.A. arrived in the screening room and we watched this movie that had never been seen out because it was all about I was a spy for the CIA during it was Second World War propaganda. Oh, got it. Right, right. And, and nobody's seen those movies now, but now, how can you not be engrossed in cinematography and in movie making? It's everywhere and it's free, and you just need to go there and click on your parents' thing and just go for it. It's um, so so exciting. I think too, so many people want to become cinematographers who. I'm not going to have the means to go to a school. Right. But I had some kid just call me out of the blue, say, you shot a film called Brink for Disney. It was one okay. of those things I did in the middle of 24. Right. And he said, that is far and away the best skateboard movie ever. <laughs> and the guy's not that old. I think he's only in high school. Right. I don't, he hasn't even told me what country he is now, but he nailed every point. And I wrote him back and I said, look, you want to know how we shot that? I said it was a World War II gun camera called a Bell and Howl, and we put a motor on it that did 100-foot loads. Yeah. And I had a very, very good inline blade skater who just palmed it in his palm and put it right to the ground, crouched, and could do the wheels and come all the way up and then push it into their faces. And that's how we shot all the skating with that camera. Hmm. It was amazing. And I had a, a, a guy on blades who was running a mic on them as well, or yeah, they were yeah. on radios, you know. And uh, that was fantastic. And of course, when the 5D came out and everybody got to do skateboard videos right. with the little 5D, they were essentially doing the same thing that we'd done at 35 millimeter. But that movie holds up really well. It's just a shame it's in four by three. It was before we went to 16 went by to 69. Yeah, yeah. Negatives, 4K. Yeah. But, I, you know, Disney will never go back and re redo it. But I, it's fun to see that on Disney Plus. Sure, absolutely, absolutely, and and I think Twenty Four was the first show I ever owned that was sixteen nine. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, we it's pushed for that. Everybody yeah. pushed for that. Well, thank you, thank you for doing that because. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, you know, it was an economic consideration. We were one of the first to adapt the Canadian invention called three perf. Okay. Which instead of pulling the film down four perforations vertically, you only pull three down. And then you get, instead of it being a 10-minute roll, it goes to 16 minutes and 1,000 foot. Or instead of being four and a half minutes, it went to six and a half minutes in the 400-foot mag. Yeah. And so that allowed us to, and of course, when you look at the frame in three perf, it is 16 by nine by its very nature. 
So wow. we didn't have any option. There it was. And they said, okay, fine, we'll take it. They used to clop the edges off, but then they took it. And we were already using half a million dollars worth of film for processing every year. Mm. And Fox was mean as hell about that. They didn't <laughs> Kiefer made the decision and said, no, not my face on this. So that Yeah, was, yeah. Wow. Hey, there he is. Bless his heart. I mean, Rodney, the passion for what you do just comes through so naturally. Is there something we should be looking out for that you're working on now or, you know? Nothing really at the moment. There's, uh, I've been talking to some Polish filmmakers uh, about a movie called Aaliyah. And it's, uh, I think they'll get the money. They want about $5 million. We shoot anamorphic in, in Poland. Okay. And I'm excited by that. I met them at Camera Marge last 2019. And... Uh, there are, there are other things. I, I'm in development on a spy series called my The Spy Master's Daughter. Okay. And, okay. Uh, Kiefer and I own a script that we've been peddling for the longest time called um, My Father's Secret War, about a woman who woke up one day and realized her father had been a, a spy her whole life. Wow. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Good, good stories. They, they need to be made. He was the first person... They ever go into a concentration camp in Allied Germany, uh, you know, uh, as the Allies swept through, recording everything, and uh, came back. And he'd been a German scholar. He'd been to the University of Berlin before the war, and he burnt all his books. Hmm. And, you know, she didn't realize until quite late in life when she would ask him a straight question, and he he'd got Alzheimer's. He forgot that he had he had a, a, a security clearance. And so he, if she asked a trigger question, he would tell her what he did. Wow. Uh, he was in the OSS. You know, he was dropped in behind enemy lines during the pre uh, the Allied invasion. And these are these are stories that need to be told. Yes, it's particularly because he he wrote a, an account, and he's actually in the museum in New York of Intolerance, on camera talking about going into this camp. Because they were the first people to ever see the horrors of Nazi the re- Germany. The reality, yeah. Camp, yeah. camp called Ordruf. And the Allied command, two weeks later, sent everybody. Eisenhower and all the generals were there. There was cameras, video, every, film, everything. But it was the same day that FDR died. And so it never made the press. Wow. And it was subsequent camps that came to people's attention. I, you know, I had a grade five teacher that ignited my uh, love for history. And certainly for that era, and yeah. and I'm I'm less about the skirmishes, and more about how how did they get there? Like how does a country get there? How do how do people? And again, as you said, the propaganda films, the you know the the, the marketing, the all that kind of thing that was able to steer people to do some horrific and yeah. to accept accept horrific things uh, has always fascinated me as how we get there. And, well, we're uh, in very dangerous times with media, social yeah. media. Yeah. And yeah. misinformation, yeah. and uh, particularly in the digital ability to change people's faces and have them say things that they they didn't say. The deep fakes, yes, yeah, yeah that is. All of that tech is sitting on your laptop right now, yeah. and yeah. Uh, it's going to be very very challenging for my children and my children's children how they deal with this going going I, forward. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, Rodney, thank you so much. We have appreciated just hearing some great stories about everything that you've been involved with. And again, I personally thank you for being involved with Mantis because that was, <laughs> that was a shining example of how it could be 
to see where it comes to this many years later with a movie like Black Panther and, and yeah. those kind of things. Yeah. But uh, no, thank you for uh, for sharing with us your history with 24 and your history. And, and clearly, as I said, your passion for what you do comes through as you talk about it. So we appreciate you. Yes, oh, thank you welcome. so much. You give us some great insight on 24 and and the cinematography around it and, and your role. So yeah, we, we appreciate learning all that because it's a great angle to give the fans. You made TV better. Yes, you did. Yeah. Well, we, me and, and a bunch of people, I mean, about, mm-hmm. you know, 50 or 60 key people from production design, wardrobe, hair, you know, the whole thing. But they were part of our team and everybody pulled their weight. They were all excited to be there and we made yeah. great, great film. And it's interesting, too, the through line for, through all of our discussions of everybody that was involved is that they were having fun. And even yes. though it was grueling 16-hour days, yes. people enjoyed themselves. And they still, it, it comes through that they enjoyed themselves this many years later. That's that's a testament unto itself. So Oh, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, there's thank a, you very much. There's a tiny little thing on, I think, on the internet of me dancing to Earth, Wind & Fire's September. <laughs> We, we used to play it at the end of every day, and, and it was a time to kind of unwind. No pleasure to do this. Thank you, guys. Barrister. Barrister.